Making music is music to his ears. Coming up, you're going to hear from the director of music ministry at Auburn United Methodist Church and hear his passion for sharing the gospel in song. Stay tuned. There is the word, there is the way, and brothers and sisters who find strength in their belief. We meet Faces of Faith with Phil Scoggins. And welcome to another edition of Faces of Faith. I'm your host, Phil Scoggins, and I am delighted to have someone who drove about 45 minutes to an hour from here That's to right. join me on the podcast today. And his name is Gary Clarenbeek, and Gary is the music minister, the director of music ministries at Auburn United Methodist Church. And Gary, I've been to your church on several occasions. Right. You have blessed my heart, mm -hmm. as well as those in the congregation who listen to the way that you... Uh, are able to inspire through music, through your choir, and, and the various music ministries there. So welcome to, from from the, the heart of Auburn to the Fountain City, and we're glad to have you with us I'm today. thrilled to be here. Thank you so much. One of the things that I always uh, want to sort of start with is I know you somewhat. We've, we've been friends for several years, but um, people who do not know Gary Clarenbeek, we want to take a peek into your journey in life, go back to uh, where you grew up and, and where this whole thing started for you and talk about your parents and your upbringing and, and delve into how the Lord uh, was introduced into your life and how all of that pl has played out over the course of your lifetime. So, so where are you from and tell us all about you, brother. Believe it or not, we were raised, both my wife and I, in the same hometown. Rock Rapids, Iowa, which is way in the northwest corner of Iowa. And I always jokingly tell people that we weren't raised in the south, but we got here as soon as we could. Um, the winters <laughs> in northwest Iowa were not our forte. Uh -huh. And uh, I was raised on a poultry and grain farm. My wife was raised on a dairy farm. So we had most of the food groups covered mm -hmm. between our two families. <laughs> and we have known each other since third grade, Is believe right? it or not. We were in the same third grade class and we've known each other ever since. So was um, there magic that early? You know, she's something pretty special. Uh -huh. And as far as her, I got the good end of the deal. There's no <laughs> doubt about that. I, I always jokingly say that she... Um, I was her ticket off the farm because it was a very small community, 2,500 people. Oh, wow. We still have only two stoplights in that community, and everyone is in farming. And she didn't want to be a farmer's wife. She knew that. So yeah. I was in music, so I was her ticket off the farm. So <laughs> it, it's worked out really well for us. So in school, is that where the music bug bit you? You know, it was actually even before school. Okay. Uh, our family was a family of faith. There was never a moment in my life where our family wasn't exposed to church, and going to church was not an optional activity. Our life centered around it, mm -hmm. and I think that's very indicative of small-town Iowa, mm -hmm. where farmers, when they live off the land, they live a very trusting life. That's they trust the Lord for the rain and for the, the sunshine. And when you plant those seeds, you never know what you're going to get. And the faith sees them through. Mm -hmm. 
Mm-hmm. And the uh, certainly a faith building occupation, no doubt about yes. it. And our family was very musical. Interestingly, my dad played lots of different instruments, but he learned them all by ear. Mm-hmm. He never had any formal training whatsoever, but he played mandolin and guitar and accordion, and he just learned, picked them all up on his own. My mother had six weeks of piano lessons, that's all her parents could afford. But I still remember her. She passed about four years ago. She still played the great hymns of the faith. They weren't note perfect by any means. Mm-hmm. But when she would play the piano and sing along with it, quite often the family would start gathering around the piano and we'd all start singing together. And uh, my brother sings beautifully. Uh, my sister is a Methodist minister one of them, and the other one played piano beautifully. She doesn't play much anymore. I'm the only one who went into music As a professionally. Okay. And I think I got the bug for that back when I was four years old, believe it or not. That's my first solo in church. And it, What'd you sing? You in my heart, there rings a melody. And um, it, I'm sure wasn't very good. <laughs> <laughs> but when you're four, people think it's cute anyway. And... Um, I sang in church. My mom made me sing in church. Good, good. Yes. And for our family, singing in the church choirs, the children's choirs, and all the way up, again, was never an optional thing. It was just part of our DNA. Mm -hmm. But for some reason, it stuck extra hard with me. And from that first solo, I just grew to love seeing people respond to the gospel through music. There was something that happened through music that sometimes the spoken word doesn't do. And seeing the response in those little old ladies, I can still see them out in the pews. (laughs) And um, it was just very special to me. And I started piano lessons at the age of four. I was starting to, yeah, I was starting to play by ear. And my mother was concerned about that, that I would not then learn how to read music. So they got me into piano lessons right away. Now I can't do playing by ear at all. Really? But throw music in front of me, I, I'm okay. Uh-huh. I can't even play Happy Birthday without music. So I guess I traded one skill for another. But the, the reading of music has helped my career along the way. So they did the right thing for me. When I was growing up, uh, my mom liked for me to sing in mm-hmm. church and wanted me to have piano lessons. And so we lived in a, a small town, northwest Georgia, uh, Chattanooga was the closest big town to mm-hmm. us, and so um, she took me to uh, take piano lessons at Shoddick's Conservatory in at University of Tennessee at Chattanooga, and uh, that that's a pretty big deal. In fact, yeah. um, um, the piano player for uh, the Gaithers, um, Bill Gaither, um, uh, Anthony Berger, uh, mm-hmm. that's where he got his professional training was at Shoddick's Conservatory. So you were in high cotton. Yes, I didn't realize it, <laughs> but um, after several months of lessons, uh, mom attended a, a, one of the lessons, and, and they invited her in to watch, and I was a nervous wreck, <laughs> and it wasn't that she was there. I was a nervous wreck mm-hmm. just going to the lesson, and and the instructor just basically said, you know, I, I don't think that he's going to be able to override his nerves, and so I, I basically ended up, you know, doing, you know, walking away from a great place that could have taught me probably right. incredibly and then just picked up playing uh, by ear. So I rev- I did the opposite. That's right. That's <laughs> just right. What I could learn myself at home, uh, I tried to pick up on, and basically only the key of C. 
<laughs> I love it. I love it. Well, how did uh, how did music become entrenched in what you wanted to do when you grew up? I think seeing my parents model what choir could be like for people really inspired me. We had a great children's choir program too, but starting at about sixth grade, I started accompanying some of the choirs at the church and to watch the directors direct and to see my mom and dad modeling being a choir member, I think was very pivotal Mm -hmm. for me to that service to the church that using your time and talents for the Lord was a big, big thing. Mm -hmm. And it's stuck with me all, all these years. And as I grew older, there was a program on TV. I'm sure you remember it, Lawrence Welk. Um, I'm dating myself. Yes. (laughs) I love that show. My grandparents watched it religiously as well. But there was another one that shaped my faith journey a lot, and that was Robert Shuler's Hour of Power. Mm -hmm. And Robert Shuler was raised about 30 miles from my hometown. And the beginning of one of his books said he was born at the end of a dirt road with no name. And that's how I was raised. In the rural community, there were no street names way back then. Mm-hmm. We just depended that if emergency vehicles needed to get to us, they all knew who we were anyway mm-hmm. and could find us. We do ha- now have names. We're really uptown. <laughs> <laughs> but back then, in the winter, before we'd go to church, we would gather around the kitchen table and we would watch the broadcast from Garden Grove, California. Uh-huh. We would see the fountains and we'd see the beautiful flowers. And we were looking out our windows and seeing the frozen tundra of Iowa with snowdrifts and everything. And I watched their choir and their magnificent organ being played. And mm. I thought, wow, because I would love to go there someday. The setting was Is just so powerful. Phenomenal. Mm. And the message of positive thinking really resonated with me. Mm-hmm. My, my father was probably the most positive man I've, I've ever known. There was nothing, he believed that nothing was impossible with the Lord. He lived it and he believed it. Mm-hmm. Um, there was one time, Phil, when a uh, bad storm moved through our farming community and it was right as the crops were at their premium. I mean, they were beautiful. Mm-hmm. And a hailstorm moved in, and I'll never forget that day. My parents were standing arm in arm, looking out the window as the hail completely decimated the crop. And my mom started weeping, and she said, honey, we've lost everything. And he said, I still get a little emotional when I think about it, because I can still see it so clearly. He said, "Um, no, we haven't, because we have each other, and the Lord will see us through. Mm. And I still remember that so mm. vividly to this day. And ironically, he went out as soon as the, the dirt was dry enough, and he went out with his cultivator and his red farmall tractor, and he cultivated those little stumps, which were just barely coming out of the ground anymore. And people were laughing at him, kind of like they laughed at Noah mm-hmm. <laughs> when he was building the ark. Yeah. And um, they said, what are you wasting your time and, and energy on and fuel Nothing's going to come out of this. Well, he, he proved them wrong, and he proved that when you're faithful, God is fruitful. And he did get a crop. It wasn't much, but it was enough to pay the mortgage on the land that year. So he taught me perseverance, faith and perseverance mm-hmm. to see you through. And uh, that was a beautiful testimony of his life that I'll never forget. Were there opportunities in school uh, for you to perform and, and, you know, 
allow the Lord to use you in that you know, that was well. another great thing about being raised in a small town. It was a much, much smaller talent pool. Mm-hmm. So I didn't have to compete with 500 other seniors in high school. We, we had 96 in our graduating <laughs> class. So <clears throat> it was easy to get into the high school musicals. Mm-hmm. I was in four singing groups. I was in band and jazz band. Those were the days when you could both sing and play an instrument. What did you play? Trumpet. Okay. Trumpet. And Julie, my wife, played French horn right in front of me. And I'll never forget, every time she'd go for a high note, I'd grab her from behind and see if I could make her mess up. We still laugh about that today. But that's neat for us, too, to share that faith journey through all through high schools so that we have really have a wonderful foundation that we were able to build Mm. our marriage on. Really great. So, being in the musicals, all those ensemble groups, I got a well-rounded music education that I probably wouldn't have gotten in a larger school because I wouldn't have had the opportunities to to compete. So, it worked out well for me. Who uh, got your attention as far as uh, higher education? You know, I was almost. I sent an application to Boston Conservatory because I just thought that would be really cool. You know, just an Ivy League school, that'd be really neat. And then reality set in, and that's a long way from where Julie was going to be. And there was a small Methodist college that both my brother and sister had attended. Fabulous music department. It was one of those hidden jewels Mm -hmm. in Iowa. There were several small schools in Iowa that had really renowned music departments because they had all been trained by the former director of the St. Olaf College Choir. So they all had that same foundation. And again, it was a smaller setting that I could have more exposure. I was also offered a job right out of high school to play at a Catholic church for four years. So for a kid from a small town, that was just too good of an opportunity to pass up. We were raised Protestant, but I think playing in the Catholic church nurtured my faith in a really profound way and appreciating other denominations Mm -hmm. that I probably wouldn't have Mm -hmm. ever grown to appreciate so much. So being able to work that four years as I sang in the in the different choirs and in the band and a lot I majored in organ piano and voice performance and church music so I was kept very busy and I loved it I mean I was just totally immersed in music from morning till late at night and there was no discussion for me music ministry was it mm-hmm. was there a certain professor that uh, took you under oh, their wing? yes Frank Summerside He's still living, and we communicated when he turned 90, and he, as a director, was so inspiring. Very short-statured man, but he had a glare that could make you shape (laughs) up in a hurry. And he had formulated a choir there that went to Europe. We went to California. I mean, he took us everywhere, and it was an excellent choir, the Westmar Corral, and those hot dark blue velvet robes in, oh, they were so hot (laughs) during performances, but it looked so elegant and Mm -hmm. so beautiful. But he exposed us to choral music, and I discovered that passion 
or choral music was going to be with me my whole life. Hearing a choir come together mm-hmm. out of many one, you know, like mm-hmm. E Pluribus Unum, mm-hmm. that's on in the Capitol, but out of many voices, how you can bring that together. And it feels like your hearts are beating as one. You're breathing together. You're experiencing the text together. It's a powerful thing. And if your listeners have not ever tried singing in a choir, it is great therapy. You can walk into the room in a foul mood, (laughs) but you leave it at the door. And the music, especially when you're doing sacred music, Mm -hmm. those texts just bring you. you. Oh, they do. Really, it's it's an act of worship. It really is, mm-hmm. but also it's good for your mental health because you're speaking God's truths mm-hmm. as you sing. It's it's really a powerful witness. What doors open for you once uh, you you finish college? Where did you head first to pursue your, your career as a, a music director? Well, interestingly, um, I had a friend who moved to St. Louis, and when we started looking for jobs, there were no really decent music jobs in these small churches in Iowa. So we knew we had to expand our search. A friend of ours had moved to St. Louis, and she sent me the classified section one Sunday. And in there was a little tiny ad for part-time director of music ministries at at a suburban church in St. Louis. And went to the interview. It was love at first sight. And um, so there Julie and I went with our little U-Haul trailer. Packed you were up married everything. at the time We then? were. I, so you we got married, married in college? We did. Okay. We did, and we made it work. And uh, she was in nurse's training, but she had a two-year program, so she was finished, so she could support me <laughs> <laughs> until uh, I got my, my other jobs. But uh, in St. Louis, it was an, an amazing opportunity for me to kind of get my teeth wet and to... Uh, work in a church setting that was part-time, but usually we were working 40 hours a week. But I had a full-time job outside of that also just to keep all of the bills paid. And we were there for 13 years. And it was just an amazing experience. And I still communicate with a lot of the kids that were in my youth choir. And it has been so neat. Um, Had any reunions? We have not had any reunions, but I hear from an awful lot of them on Facebook. Yeah. It, it's amazing. They were wishing us happy anniversary the other day. And to see these kids that I had known from like eighth grade on, it's just really neat to see how that music ministry has also shaped their faith journeys. And that's a great feeling, just a great feeling. To have the stability of being able to basically your first job lasts for 13 years. Right. That's, a, that's remarkable. Yeah. The, the Lord knew what he was doing when he placed me right there. Um, while I was there, it was interesting. We started in, in the process of starting a new community chorus that was going to go to Kiev as a musical mission. Mm-hmm. Uh, Kiev was even much more oppressed then than it is now. And we just felt that music could be a healing force and give people hope and encouragement. So part of that journey was the executive board sent me to the Tabernacle Choir out in Utah and the Crystal Cathedral Choir so I could learn from the best how to do things behind the scenes, like organize the music library and how to organize wardrobe and all of this other stuff. Little did I know after that trip, it would plant seeds and connections that are coming full circle today and setting us up for our choir going to Utah next year. It's just amazing when you look in 
the rear view mirror, how God can use something that you think is just a coincidence. Mm -hmm. And you all of a sudden realize, wow, that's what he had in mind all along. It's, it's just phenomenal. A how seed God planted years ago comes to fruition. That's right. And then you, again, in looking back, connect the dots. Right. We'll get to that um, Utah trip in a moment. Yeah. After the 13 years in St. Louis, what happened then? Well, then I was starting to really feel stretched. We had two young daughters at the time, mm -hmm. and I was working 30, 40 hours a week at the church, and also we eventually owned our own flower shop that specialized in parties and weddings. Well, that was 40 to 60 hours a week, mm -hmm. and I was just burning the candle at both ends. And I knew, although we loved the floral business and all that planning and creative energy, mm -hmm. I knew my heart was really in music ministry, and I needed to find a place where I could do it full-time, right. really focused, and have more time for my family. And that led us to serve a church in Houston, Texas, on, in the western suburbs, uh, close to Katy. And um, we were there only about two and a half years until the Lord opened a magical opportunity in Naples, Florida. We always call that our first Camelot because <laughs> it was such a beautiful setting. I mean, from a Northwest Iowa boy to live in Naples, Florida in January and February. Oh, oh that was, <laughs> that was paradise. <laughs> Our church was two blocks from the beach. So it, it was just a really gorgeous setting. And the church, uh, there was such support for church music in Southern Florida. It, you need a grand piano? Okay. And, and there was a time where we were going to rebuild the facility and the new organ was going to be $1.5 million and someone wrote the check the next day. And it was just that sort of a Camelot sort of a setting where there was just no shortage of money to fund creative projects when it was for the Lord and it was for the church. It was just an amazing experience. But you know, churches sometimes go through a transitional period and the one... Down there, a new pastor came and wanted to change things up a little bit, and that was right as the church had been demolished to rebuild. Mm -hmm. So it was a very turbulent time, mm -hmm. and all of a sudden, this job opened up in Auburn, Alabama. Wow. And <laughs> every time we'd start to doubt that call to Alabama, we hadn't even heard of Auburn at that time mm -hmm. in our life. Uh, Brother George Matheson would call me just when I was thinking. Mm, Explain no. who he is. so that our He's our know. pastor emeritus. Mm -hmm. He had served Auburn United Methodist for 27 years before he retired, 27 or 28. And an amazing gentleman who is so connected to the Holy Spirit. It is just phenomenal. And every time I'd feel a little doubtful, he would inevitably call that day. And we would have a conversation and I would Say, okay, Lord, I got it this time. I got it this mm -hmm. time. And um, it was the best move our family ever made. Our girls were still going into high school and junior high, respectively. And it was such a great community for them. Um, great school system. Um, youth choir in our church at that time was just flying high. And that's where Jackie, our oldest, discovered she had a voice uh, she's a professional singer now. She went to Columbus State. Mm -hmm. Yay. Yes. And um, has a, I got, you're not going to brag on her, but 
she has a Sandy Petty type voice. I mean, she's very gifted. She got the talent in the family. She really did. She is amazing. I, I, I hope I do relatively well, but she is a, a remarkable, she is. remarkable vocalist. And um, I got to come to uh, Auburn. She she did a concert. Uh, mm-hmm. This has been a few years ago. Right, right. And uh, but she was the you accompanied her uh-huh. and uh, just uh, um, gave a. Uh, a sampling of how talented she is across a number of different genres of music. And she was, she brought the house down that yeah, day. That was an amazing she's a day. special lady, special lady. And interestingly, she had been studying the violin down in Florida. But when we moved to Auburn, there was no violin program in the schools. So it was a hard time for her. Mm-hmm. And it's through our youth choir, she discovered that she had a voice and it just took off from there. So again, what we thought was a closed door was God opening a window to a skill that she didn't even realize she had. So again, the Lord was at work and we didn't even know it at the time. So you've been at Auburn now how many years? 20 years. Must have been seven when I got there. Um, <laughs> 20 years this July would have been my 20th anniversary. Mm-hmm. So um, it's amazing what happens in 20 years. Well, I know that uh, the program and the success of the program has, uh, it speaks for itself. And I know that folks don't like to brag about, you know, their programs necessarily, but uh, in all rights, y'all have raised the bar in terms of not just performances. I recently uh, drove over my wife and I for a 4th of July uh, Independence Day celebration service that was phenomenal. I mean, phenomenal. And and that was... um, just, just if you if you haven't been exposed to you know your your choir at that church, um, those kinds of performances you usually go to Atlanta or or bigger cities. But you have a uh, a, a very professional approach. You have uh, on that day you had I don't know probably a forty piece orchestra that accompanied uh, right how many voices in the choir? I think there were eighty five that yeah, day. Yeah, uh, just. So the sound uh, just washes over you, and and it was an amazing experience. But but y'all have, you know, uh, broken down the borders of of Auburn and Opelika. You you extend well beyond that in terms of where you have performed. So over that twenty years, sort of uh, let's paint the picture of some of the mm-hmm. highlights of of opportunities that have been presented to you based on uh, your reputation. Right. Well, one of George Matheson's goals for the music ministry and one of the reasons he wanted me to come to Auburn is he had a real heart for evangelism through music Mm -hmm. and sometimes music can break down barriers that nothing else can Mm -hmm. it breaks down denominational barriers it breaks down um, race barriers I mean that that message of peace unity and, Mm -hmm. and Christ's love through music so he really wanted to grow the music ministry and grow our witness to the area and he had started a television ministry not long before I get, had gotten there. Again, Heart Free Evangelism. We started a concert series, which brought in people like Sandy Patty and the Vienna Choir Boys. And Lee Greenwood was there. And we still have his pictures on the wall. Uh, B.J. Thomas, mm-hmm. um, who died recently. Mr. Yeah. Raindrops Keep Falling mm-hmm. on My Head. Yeah. But it was sometimes those more secular people like B.J. Thomas, who had a deep personal faith that could break down barriers and get people into the doors of the church who maybe hadn't been for years, mm-hmm. had been disenfranchised 
with the church for whatever reason, but music brought them back to the church. And so what we wanted to do with the choir is that same sort of evangelism and outreach. But when you start from a, a choir of about 30 people, that's kind of a daunting task. That's how much... There how, were 30 when I got there. Well, and I was coming from a 100-voice choir to a 30-voice choir. And I thought, when I first got there, Lord, what do you want me to do? <laughs> how do you want me to grow this program? Yeah. And through lots of prayer and planting seeds. It didn't happen overnight, but I got there in June, and by the time the first Christmas came around, we had our first Christmas festival concert. It was the first major Christmas concert the church had ever done in its history that they know of, Mm -hmm. but we had 150 singers that year and the 40-piece orchestra, and we had it, it was standing room only, and we thought, wow, maybe we're on to something. And it seemed like the big dreams brought singers in who maybe had been inactive for years. And then when they heard the quality that we were capable of, nobody wants to go back to be in a bad choir. So <laughs> quality helps build a program mm-hmm. and that standard of excellence. And the one who really sets the bar is the Lord, because holy sloppy is still sloppy. That's what I always tell the choir. The best recruiting tool we have is to sound great on Sunday morning and bring people to the throne of God mm-hmm. through music. And it's not been easy to maintain that kind of momentum. But year by year, as we started to grow, the university started to take notice. Oh, I see. It's, they've been having some of their concerts at the church mm-hmm. in recent years. And that's how we met Drs. William and Rosephany Powell, mm-hmm. who are just icons in the, in the area. Rosephany's a noted composer. And they invited us to collaborate with them and not only sing in Auburn, her uh, recent, recent release, uh, Gospel Trinity, they invited us to go with them to perform it at Lincoln Center in New York. Well, who can say no to that? <laughs> so we loaded up the truck, and we, <laughs> we headed to New York City, and it was an opportunity of a lifetime. And then when we were on the plane, I got to thinking, oh, Lord, what do we do now? When you've done something that mountaintop, mm-hmm. It can be a downtime and offer people exit ramps. Okay, mm-hmm. we've done everything now there is to do. Well, well before we leave New York and uh-huh. Lincoln Center, describe that moment for oh the choir. Oh, my goodness. It was crazy. Um, here we are in a secular concert hall, but uh-huh. we're doing a sacred work, yeah. Gospel Trinity. And, and we're sure many people who are sitting in that audience were not prepared for what they were going to hear. Uh, the other part of the program was... A, it's called Sacred and Profane. It was Carmina Burana, which is about as secular as you can get. So <laughs> sacred and profane. And so the most of the audience there, I think, was there for the profane the part. Profane part <laughs> because yeah. it's a work that's very iconic in the choral repertoire. Mm-hmm. And um, we were first on the program. And the, after the first, it was a four-movement uh, four work. After the first introduction, there was... Just slight applause, mm-hmm. polite applause. Mm-hmm. But then Rosephany had her solo and her narration. And by the second work and the third, by the fourth, they were on their feet. It, it turned from a sacred, a secular concert hall into a sacred um, cathedral. It was unbelievable how that crowd was moved through music. This and was that two years ago? That was in 2018. 18, okay. So that showed me 
what sacred music can really do in people's lives. Even people who don't have any sacred background, Mm -hmm. music can move their hearts. And it it was phenomenal, just phenomenal. Never forget it. So you said coming back on the plane, your fear was, what do we do now? Yeah, how to maintain momentum after something that great. Two weeks later, we were invited to perform in uh, Kennedy Center in Washington, D.C., us uh, patriotic well somebody was looking online what choirs were going places and doing things Mm -hmm. and ours came up in the search and when they saw that we had also performed in lincoln center it gave us credibility that we didn't maybe have before Mm -hmm. they saw our uh, sake um patriotic program online so they contacted us and Conducting that performance was Dr. Craig Jessup, who's former director of the Tabernacle Choir. And I met him in person out there, and I said, would you consider coming to work with our choir in Auburn to do a a vocal clinic and a concert with us? Sure. I couldn't believe it. And he did. He really did. And um, that concert then with him in Auburn was in February of 2020. We all know what happened a few weeks later. Um, But we also, before Craig even came, we also performed at Carnegie Hall. We had two trips in one year. Carnegie Hall performing with Heather Sorensen, who's another noted composer who knew us from working with her in Auburn. So again, the Lord just laid these opportunities before us. And I was never interested in having a touring choir. I thought that would never happen. Mm -hmm. But when the From Powell's, 30 people to a touring choir that's yeah. singing Carnegie Hall, Lincoln Center. It was just, for something like that to happen, it's not me. Mm-hmm. That's too big for any human being to do. Mm-hmm. That, that was the Holy Spirit at work. There mm-hmm. was no doubt about it. Because I can't accomplish anything without 75 to 100 singers who are willing to participate and invested in that same dream. And the Lord instills the dreams and the visions within all of us. So it, it's just been amazing. You have an opportunity next um, summer, late spring, early summer. Mm-hmm. Tell us uh, about that and how that it, it is an example of those seeds sown early on and then coming to fruition. Well, when Craig was with us in February of 2020, he extended an opportunity to our choir to come and visit Uh, Utah. He's got a huge choir out there. He's no longer with the Tabernacle Choir. He's the dean of the School of Music at Utah State University in Logan. And his new choir is the American Festival Chorus. And he invited us to do a concert with his choir, but also have us perform individually. And that's an opportunity we have never had to perform a solo performance outside our walls. Mm-hmm. So he offered us an opportunity to sing with them, but also do a p- segment of the program on our own. He also opened the doors for us to collaborate with the Tabernacle Choir to be the guest of, of the choir there, to attend their rehearsal and their Sunday morning broadcast, the behind-the-scenes tour, wow. uh, the, meet their directors, which will, if you've ever, have you ever heard them live? No. Oh, Oh. Glory! It is. <laughs> it is amazing. It is absolutely amazing. When did you? Well, when I was flown out back those years in St. Uh-huh. Louis, I heard them live for the first time. Okay, 
and it changed my life. It, it's just the anointing of the Holy Spirit just washes over 360 voices in a 65-piece orchestra, and it, it, sheer perfection. Mm-hmm. It is just amazing. So we'll get to hear that. But also, while we're in Salt Lake, we get to perform a totally solo concert of over an hour on Temple Square in the Assembly Hall, which is an honor most choirs don't get. So it's not the temple, it's the Assembly Hall. And then it also opened up doors for us to perform in St. George, Utah, with an interfaith choir down there. So we'll actually do three performances on that trip, and plus see some beautiful scenery as well. But Beautiful country out there. Had we not gone to D.C. and met Dr. Jessup, these opportunities wouldn't have followed. So God is connecting the dots. And I just want to encourage your viewers, if your life doesn't seem like it's making sense, hold on, because God's going to show you in due time that nothing that's happening today is a, is a surprise to him. He has charted out your days. And hold on, because hope is coming. And there's great things ahead if we just keep trusting how do you select what your choir is going to sing? <laughs> I jokingly tell the choir as I'm reviewing music, if it gives me goosebumps or makes me cry, it's a winner. <laughs> and that pretty much has worked out. Uh, if it's got, it's got to be inspiring. It's got to touch my heart if I'm going to get the choir to have it touch theirs. Mm-hmm. So that has really stood <clears throat> the test of time for me as I, I do tons of research and listen and listen and listen. And it's not until I get the goosebumps or the tears that I know it's a winner mm-hmm. for my choir. And sometimes I have to wait a couple of years for that piece to, to make sense. Mm-hmm. And um, it works. It works. You have to just keep your heart open. Keep your heart open. I can't imagine um, your life uh, without music, what has music and the experience of teaching it um, done for you spiritually? Wow. You know, I think it's been the biggest part of my faith journey outside of listening to the messages of, of the ministers. I think sometimes for me personally, as a musician, hearing the, the scriptures the Lord's word come to life through music is such an act of worship. And you can't sing those texts and not feel his presence in your life. And it, truly, it, it has been my worship. When I'm directing the choir, it's not just going through the basics of conducting a 4-4 pattern. To me, it's what I feel like I was placed on this earth to do. Does mm. that make sense? Mm. It's, it's like when I'm on that conductor's podium... I may not have a Ph.D. from an Ivy League school, but I know when I'm on that podium that that's what he put me on this earth to do. And when you hear those harmonies come together and the, the organ and the instruments all come together in a symphony of praise to God, it just moves me to tears. It, it's just an awesome spiritual experience for me. We mentioned the name Sandy Patty a little mm. while ago, and, and she is one of my all-time oh, favorite singers. And, and y'all have a connection with her. She's not been to Auburn United Methodist Church once, but what? Four times. Yeah. And I'd love to get her back. She doesn't do a whole lot of performances outside anymore, but I think we could probably get her to come back for one more time. But to hear her live, I mean, she's a force of nature. Mm-hmm. Talk about an anointed performer. She, she doesn't just sing all the right notes. 
she sings from her soul. It is a powerful experience. And she is as fun off stage. And she's like a, a, an old friend. She mm-hmm. is an amazing, amazing woman. So how did you connect with her? With her agent, actually, is how we first got okay. connected. And but, that, but obviously, that made an impact on her for her to come back that many Right, right. She likes coming back to Auburn. So it'd be fun. Would you like us to get her back again? I would love that. (laughs) I'll see what we can do for you. She she is really amazing. Some of her performances with us have not involved the choir. Some have. Mm -hmm. But she is just phenomenal. She's a class act. She sings with the the Mm -hmm. angels. There's no doubt about it. In the music business, there have to be, um, and, and we'll lighten this up a little bit, Moments that you wished hadn't happened. <laughs> Embarrassing, you know, things that, you know, throw a, throw a curveball at you right in the middle of a performance. Yeah. Share a couple of those with us. Oh, let's see. The first one that comes to my mind is the Laughing Hyena cello players. Um, we were in the middle of a concert, and we were singing this song, You'll Never Walk Alone, mm-hmm. as a farewell to our high school seniors who mm-hmm. had sung in the choir. And... For some reason, the two cello players immediately to my right got the giggles, and they just could not stop. And I am crying, and the more I'm crying, the more they're laughing, and I just fell apart. I was so angry with them. Needless to say, they didn't come back. (laughs) They weren't on the recall list. But it's one of those moments. We were just all just moved to tears, and you see this laughter to your right. We call them the hyena cello players. And the whole choir saw it happening, and there's nothing you can do. Um, And another one, we got lost in Africa one year. We were singing the song um, something about Africa. Um, anyway, I lost my score and I did not know where the choir was. I did not know where the orchestra was. And I was just lost. I was just, I had no idea, but somehow the Lord got us to the, a cadence where we could stop. And I just stopped that song short, but you know, that reminded me no matter what, how hard you prepare Things can go wrong, mm-hmm. but you try not to let the audience know. It happens in TV all the time. Oh, golly. <clears throat> Trust and me. the audience didn't know that we were lost in Africa, but we we made it to the end somehow. And um, I'll never forget, that was a very humbling experience. Mm-hmm. And uh, probably the, the biggest, biggest faux pas happened in Houston. We were doing an outdoor patriotic concert, so we thought outdoors, what's better than fireworks? Well, the fireworks, first a a storm had moved through so that the tarp roof had blown off. And then the fireworks started going off way too early. It was supposed to be synchronized to the music. And once you start fireworks, you just don't stop them. And it was was just a holy mess getting (laughs) through the end of that performance because we had to adjust the order of the music and the fireworks were going off at the wrong it was a hot mess it (laughs) and i got home and i just filled the big bathtub and i just sulked in the tub for a long time Mm. and julie came home and she said honey i'm just gonna leave you alone okay (laughs) and um out another again it was a humbling experience that we're not always in charge things happen and you just have to roll with it do the best you can 
This podcast is called Faces of Faith. Who are some of the the faces of faith that have had the biggest impact on on you? My mom and dad, for sure. Um, then Dr. George Matheson, without a doubt, who restored our faith when we were broken and uh, made a difficult move. Mm-hmm. He really restored our faith. And I got to also say you, because how you live your faith in the secular world of broadcasting as a shining light for the Lord, I've always admired you tremendously. Thanks. And the team at WRBL, uh, Bob Jesswell and mm-hmm. Teresa, I, I can see the love of the Lord shine through all of you. And it's really a great witness for our community. Well, and it's uh, a blessing you've inspired to work. me a great deal. Thank you. We, we, uh, we have good chemistry, and I think the Lord has a lot to do mm-hmm. with that. Uh, no doubt. <clears throat> we're, we're, we have deep friendships, and uh, those start with having a relationship with the Lord. Amen. So, And we, we're thankful that that comes across. It does. Uh, <clears throat> for folks who are listening to this uh, now, you know, 45-minute talk about music, um, what would, how would you encourage someone if they're, if, if, if they're debating whether they've got the talent to pursue, um, you, you know, a, a men, not necessarily a ministry, but just to offer their services to a choir like yours? Mm-hmm. What, what would you say to them? Show up. Just being available to give it a try. Um, you know, there's a saying, the Lord doesn't call the equipped, he equips the called. Mm-hmm. If you feel the Lord nudging you on the shoulder, try singing in the choir or try doing this for me. You won't be disappointed. The Lord's not going to lead you in a direction he doesn't want you to go. Mm-hmm. So follow that prompting. And our choir, I always tell them, if someone's interested, all you have to do is breathe on your own. And be willing to show up and be faithful. And it's amazing how people who never knew they had a voice, how the Lord's equipped them, and now they're they're going on their fourth trip with the choir. It's just amazing to see how the Lord, once he nudges you, taps you on the shoulder, great things can happen if you just let him lead you. We had one gentleman join the choir whose wife had passed, mm-hmm. never sung in a choir in his life, and that choir has become his lifeline. Mm-hmm. So it's not just the music you get, it's the fellowship mm-hmm. and the relationship with other people. Mm-hmm. They become your family. You don't spend that many hours in a rehearsal room and worshiping together and not feel a close chemistry. So it's a beautiful thing. There has been recently, or maybe not necessarily so recently, but over the course of some years now, um, the um, the rise of... Um, worship music changing from choirs to to more uh informal settings and uh how how do you reconcile that with what you do and and do do you see that that's a nice blend of having you know the new worship format versus the the old school hymn well, type presentation I'm thrilled that at Auburn Methodist we have both styles because not everyone is wired the same mm-hmm. some people just relate better to the more contemporary music. Some mm-hmm. people love the great hymns of the faith. Mm-hmm. But it's interesting, through the pandemic, you know what people were requesting more than anything else, no matter what side of the worship style they were on, and that's the lyrics of the old hymns. Mm-hmm. Now, they may be sung in a more um, creative or um, popular way, mm-hmm. but 
people still need the foundation of those lyrics of the old hymns. And the pendulum, interestingly, right before the pandemic, the projection was that church choirs were really coming back strong. It's kind of cyclical. The pendulum swings back and forth a little bit. So that pendulum was starting to switch back to more traditional music again. Mm -hmm. And much to the music publisher's joy, because sales had been really struggling for many years, but sales were ticking up with some of the new composers making uh, choral anthems more exciting. Joel Rainey, Mary McDonald, who's been at our church, Heather Sorensen, they were doing great. But all of a sudden, the pandemic hit, and there were no choirs rehearsing at all, completely shut down. The publishers lost all of their revenues for spring and uh, fall and, and Christmas of 2020, lost that entire year. And unfortunately, it's decimated a lot of choirs who were on the back burner because they were not allowed to rehearse, that eventually their pastors decided to go more of the praise and worship genre because they could do that with two or three people Mm -hmm. and keep things moving. So a lot of choirs have unfortunately made a, taken a toll during the COVID era. What was the toll taken on your choir and on you personally? Oh, for our choir, we were fortunate. We we only lost a few people, but that was basically due to retirement. Mm -hmm. Um, We had one lady singing with the choir she had been there 35 years. She was 93. Oh, and wow. finally, the COVID, I think, was kind of an exit ramp where uh-huh. maybe maybe this is the time. Maybe this is the time. A few of, of them moved out of town. I can truthfully say we only lost one choir member due to um, COVID anxiety, basically. And they, they've moved elsewhere. But our choir came back strong. It was pretty phenomenal. When we finally got the clearance to be back together, it was like day of rejoicing to be back in that same room making music again. And that concert you came to was mm-hmm. our first major concert back. We had five weeks to put it together. You couldn't tell it. So It's like it they had been rehearsing for months. I think they realized how much they missed it. Yeah. When, you, when you don't sing for 15 months... Mm-hmm. And it's something you really enjoy doing. It leaves a void in your life. So I think that adrenaline that you saw that day mm-hmm. is something that may last a long time. Because once you've had something taken away from you, you appreciate it more. And not just for choir rehearsals, but for worshiping. Uh, most churches were locked down for quite mm-hmm. a long time. Mm-hmm. So that first service back is pretty special. And you realize how much you miss gathering in God's house. For myself personally... I think those 15 months of being shut down were the hardest 15 months of my life. Because when all of a sudden, what you have lived your whole life loving to do, Mm -hmm. what you felt you're calling, and then to be told that what you do is dangerous and singing can kill people. For 15 months, that's the sound of silence was the hardest thing I think I've ever had to go through. Harder than losing my parents Mm. because this we didn't know when it would end. Just that un- unknown. Is the choir going to recover again? Will we ever be back together again? And I couldn't even listen to the radio. Anytime I would hear a choir sing, I would just cry. Mm-hmm. It, it was just miserable. But um, finally things started to ease up again, and I felt like my life was starting all over again. 
we have this little spike going on mm-hmm. <laughs> again right now. But fortunately, we're, we're keeping on going. We're starting to wear masks for rehearsals and so on temporarily until this variant goes through the mm-hmm. area. Hopefully it's short-lived. Mm-hmm. But um, I will never take for granted what I do again uh, and going to worship. I think Easter Sunday 2020 was the worst day of my life because that was the first day in 62 years that I was not in worship, live worship on, on a Sunday, Sunday morning. morning. I felt like I was in the tomb. But um, gradually, I just, the Lord was teaching me patience, Phil. That's not been my forte. My forte. Mine either. But um, finally, when things started to loosen up again, I could see light at the end of the tunnel. And with it came the dreams coming back to life of, the star spangled that you got to witness and going to Utah and planning for Christmas. Now, um, a second chance. It's a real blessing. Who personally did you lean on? I know the Lord for sure, but, and and I know Julie, but did, did, did you need somebody to really come alongside you during that 15 months drought? There was a dear, dear friend of mine who was the organist in my church in Naples. And she, has always been my rock. Mm-hmm. I could always call her and we'd have a good talk. Unfortunately, she died during COVID and she struggled with depression sometimes uh, throughout her life. But when the retirement facility she was living in went down on lockdown, she was not even allowed to see her daughter. She was completely isolated from people. They had to stay in their rooms. Mm-hmm. And after nine months of that, she just lost the will to live. Mm-hmm. And so I lost my best friend during COVID also, which was horrible. But besides my wife, Julie, my daughter, Jackie, was really a rock for me because she understood exactly what I was feeling because she's a singer too yeah. and who views it not just as music but as ministry. So she, she was really a rock for me to get me through those rough days. And George Matheson also. Again, he would call just when he thought I needed a lift. Mm-hmm. And it's amazing how the Lord gives you what you need when you need it. Well, I have enjoyed this um, dialogue about your life and music and its impact on you personally and the impact that you and your choir have had on the people of this area, not just here, but in New York and next summer in Utah. Um, but thank you for what you do. Thank you for the way you do it. Thank you for the heart that you have for the Lord and how that comes through in the music of the Auburn United Methodist Church. Again, that uh, concert on uh, the uh, Independence Day concert back in July was uh, just so timely. And in being the f- the first opportunity for the choir to be back together, you could tell there was there was power coming from their voices <laughs> and inspiration. Yeah. So thank you for uh, for taking the time to come and share with me. My and pleasure. being a part of uh, of my podcast, Faces of Faith. And uh, I look forward to one day down the road. We'll have you back, and we'll talk about that trip to Utah. Sounds great. Sounds great. Thanks, Phil. All right. Thank you, Gary. Once again, we want to thank you for joining us here on another edition of Faces of Faith. And as always, we say at this time that whatever you're going through, always remember, keep the faith.